You're watching CNN. I'm Julia Chatterley in New York. President Vladimir Putin says Russia's military goals in Ukraine are noble and will be achieved. He says the so-called special operation was the right step as Russia, quote, had no choice. His comments follow a meeting with the leader of Belarus, President Alexander Lukashenko. The main objective is to help the people in the Donbas region and the People's Republics of Donbas, which we recognised. We were forced to do it because, unfortunately, the Kiev authorities prompted by the West refused to stand by the Minsk agreements that were aimed at a peaceful settlement in the Donbas and for the People's Republics. And what we're doing, we are helping people. We're saving them from Nazism in the first place, and on the other hand, we're protecting Russia, taking measures to protect Russia's security. And it is obvious that we had no choice. It was the right thing to do, and I have no doubt the objectives will be achieved. While President Putin continues to allege he wants to help people in the east of Ukraine, overnight there were reports of heavy shelling. The Ukrainian military is now hoping bad weather could slow the progress. Meanwhile, in the north, the recovery efforts are being hampered by what the Russian troops left behind. The invaders left mines everywhere, in the houses they took over, just on the streets, in the fields. They mined people's property, mined cars, doors. They deliberately did everything to ensure that the return to these areas after deoccupation was as dangerous as possible. Due to the actions of the Russian army, our territory today is one of the most contaminated by mines in the world. And investigations are underway into a possible Russian-led chemical attack on Mariupol. Now, we have to be very careful about these reports. CNN cannot independently verify them. But the head of the military in Donetsk region told CNN people are being treated for non-life-threatening illness after something was dropped by a drone. He also claimed Russian forces are hiding the evidence of their atrocities, moving victims from Mariupol into Russian-controlled areas and burning the bodies using mobile crematoria. Again, CNN cannot independently verify any of these claims. Now reporting from the north of the country, CNN's Frederick Pleiken reports on both the devastation and the dangers. And the usual warning, this report does contain distressing images. The tour is a sad routine for the body collectors in the outskirts of Kiev. Finding corpses has become eerily normal here. A house destroyed by an artillery strike, a body burned beyond recognition. A mangled car wreck, two bodies burned beyond recognition. A house that was occupied by Russian troops, an elderly lady dead in the bedroom. These bodies evidence of a brutal Russian occupation and then a fierce fight by the underdog Ukrainians to drive them out. A fight 81-year-old Katarina Bareshvolets witnessed up close in her village. There were explosions, explosions from all sides. It was scary, she tells me. I am in my house. I cross myself and lie down. And then I hear how it thundered and all the windows in the house were broken. The Ukrainians tell us the Russian troops didn't even bother collecting most of their own dead. More than a week after Vladimir Putin's army was pushed out of here, they showed us the body of what they say was a Russian soldier still laying in the woods. And that's not all they've left behind. This demining unit says they found hundreds of tons of unexploded ordnance in just a matter of days, including cluster munitions like this bomblet, even though the Russians deny using them. 
These weapons are extremely dangerous for civilians who might accidentally touch them, the commander says. There are about 50 such elements in one bomb, he says. This is a high-explosive fragmentation bomb to kill people, designed just to kill people. They blow up the cluster bomblet on the spot and then move the heavier bombs to a different location for a massive controlled explosion. The body collecting, the mine sweeping and the clearing up of wreckage are just starting in this area. And yet this pile of demolished vehicles, both military and civilian, already towers in the Kiev suburb of Irpin. If you had to picture Russia's attempt to try and take the Ukrainian capital, Kiev, it would probably look a lot like this. Destruction on a massive scale and absolutely nothing to show for it. Russia's military was humiliated by the Ukrainians and caused a lot of harm in the process. And they've devastated scores of families. At Irpin Cemetery, the newly widowed weep at funerals for the fallen. Alla Krotkich, her husband Ihor, fought alongside their 21-year-old son in Irpin and died in his arms on the battlefield. Yulia Shkutina, wife of Dimitro Pasko, killed by a Russian mortar shell. And Tatyana Bliznyuk, her husband Alexander Litkin, promised her he'd come back in a few hours, but was killed defending this neighborhood. I'm very proud of him, Tatyana says. He's a hero. We have many people in Ukraine who have not fled and are defending their homes. Sasha died just 200 meters from our house where we lived. Laying the dead to rest, another sad task they've become all too efficient at performing in this area. Close by, the next funeral is already underway. Fred Plekin, CNN, Irpin, Ukraine. Nick Robertson joins us now from Brussels. Nick, that's the backdrop. The atrocity count grows. The investigations ramp up. Oh, I believe we may have lost Nick. Nick, can you hear me? No, I, I don't think on. we've got him, but we do have Phil Black. Phil, can you hear me? Are you there? Phil, can you hear me? It's Julia. Yes, I'm not sure we've got Phil there. Phil, can you hear me? No, Julia, we're going to try you. and... De- oh, we do. Somebody's talking to me. This is good news. Phil, we were just showing our audience the latest situation in Ukraine, the evidence of further atrocities, the concerns about mines that have been left behind, and, of course, uh, the concerted efforts now of Russian troops towards the east. What can you tell us? Well, you're right, Julia. There's been a a lot of talk in the last uh, few hours or so, uh, particularly about uh, weapons that have been left behind or or used by Russians here. In the city of Mariupol, for example, there has been this allegation of chemical weapon use or what more accurately has been described by soldiers on the ground as a poisonous substance of some kind. So this is within the besieged city of Mariupol where soldiers have been desperately fighting, cut off, surrounded for some weeks now. That fight is really approaching a critical moment. And in that moment, they say it's a some sort of poisonous substance was dispersed, they suspect, by Russians. Now, the consequences of that do not appear to be serious. They say a handful of people have fallen ill, three people required treatment, suffered breathing issues, soreness of the eyes, those sorts of symptoms. 
But we can't confirm what that was. Indeed, that's because nobody can. Ukrainian officials, American and UK officials all say they're very keen to understand what this was because of the persistent concern through this war that, that the Russian forces could escalate this in some way and deploy some form of chemical weapon. As I say, we do not know if that is the case in this instance. The, the soldiers on the ground have reported a substance. Uh, but even if it was in this case, I think the important point to note here is that uh, it's, uh, it, the consequences are not serious at this time. On the issue of landmines, that's something that President Zelensky says that this land here has been, uh, much, of, much of Ukrainian territory has been, in his words, contaminated with. Uh, and that's something that we've heard really from the moment Russian forces started pulling out from around Kiev and the north of the country, that they were leaving behind landmines, but also specifically wired explosives in homes, cars, buildings, even wiring explosives to bodies so that when they were disturbed, they would detonate. So a risk both to soldiers and civilians. Zelensky has sort of given this a sense of scale. He's talked about tens of thousands of explosive devices deliberately left behind uh, by Russian forces. Again, we can't confirm that specific assessment, but what he's saying is that it's a, a really big problem that he believes is the result of a specific policy from Russia. The orders, he says, must have come from above. And the end result is that he believes that Ukraine is now the most mined country in the world. Authorities are working to clear these areas to be as thorough as possible because, as we know, they, they can continue to be a threat to people for many years if they're not discovered and dealt with. Uh, but that's going to take some time. So the warning here consistently uh, is that people uh, should not return to these areas. They should not come home, even though the Russian forces have left, Julia. Yes, and even though they're desperate to come back, that's part of the heartbreak here. People are desperate to come back, and actually it remains too dangerous despite the fact that Russian forces have left. Phil, thank you for your context. Uh, very important here today. Phil Black, thank you. Now, I believe we've got Nick Good now as well from Brussels. Nick, great to have you with, with us, at Nick Robertson. Nick, ringing in my ears as I listened to what Phil was saying there and I watched that report from Phil Plyke and the, the words from President Putin today that this is a, a noble cause. It's clear that we didn't have a choice. It was the right decision. Again, as you and I have discussed, that the messaging, the portrayal of, of what we're seeing here is a, a successful war or operation because we, we don't call this a war, of course, in Russia. Yeah, Russia calls it a special military operation. I think, you know, when you listen to Putin and he, and he casts this as noble, there's a sense, I get at least, there's a damage limitation here because Putin cannot hide the fact that so many Russian soldiers have been killed. His official spokesman has admitted uh, the, the high loss and has admitted that it, that it was a terrible loss. Um, and here he's describing this special military operation as noble. So it's sort of elevating it from beyond a sort of duty that this has, has a greater cause and a greater purpose. Of course, he's saying that they will go ahead and they will be successful. And as you're saying there, he's ascribing all the reasons for doing it as is done before, which is he was under threat. Russia was under threat. Ukraine was threatening Russia. NATO and Ukraine were threatening Russia. And therefore, Russia was left with no alternative um, but to invade and, and go and protect, again, that false narrative of go and protect the people in Donbass. But the, the thing that I take out of it that is slightly different to previous is sort of 
elevating it to, to a cause noble um, is not language he, he had to use before. And that does seem to address the issue for him, at least, to try to sort of build morale again, say that we can do it, rally the nation. Despite the losses, we can go ahead and make headway here. Uh, but but you, what we heard from the uh, Austrian chancellor when he came out of a meeting with President Putin yesterday very much reflects what we're hearing today, that Putin is absolutely determined to carry on, won't hear reason from, from international locutors, uh, inter international interlocutors, uh, and is determined just to stick to his own narrative at whatever cost, and it's the cost of civilian lives, as we know. Mm. And that message must be heeded. Nick Robertson, thank you so much for that. Okay, moving on to red-hot inflation. The U.S. Consumer Price Index rose 8.5% for the year ended in March. For context, we haven't seen a level this high since December of 1981. And Matt Egan joins us now. Matt, great to have you with us. And I'm just looking down the, uh, the list of all the different segments that make up this inflation report. And year over year, everything, everything got more expensive. That's right, Julia. Yeah, we were bracing for a uh, brutal inflation report. And in many ways, that's what we got. Consumer prices up eight and a half percent year over year. We haven't seen anything like that in four decades. Remember, the Fed targets healthy inflation of two percent. We keep moving further and further away from that target. And the impact of the war in Ukraine uh, was clear with food and energy prices going up uh, month over month. Inflation in the United States um, at the fastest pace since 2005 in the aftermath of uh, Hurricane Katrina. And we also saw all of these different um, record price spikes in various categories. Let me just give you a, a sampling. Year over year, record price spikes for full service meals and snacks, uh, men's apparel, baby food, bakery products, new cars and trucks, lunch meats. The good news, and, and this could be perhaps what the market is reacting positively to, the good news um, would be that core inflation was only up 0.3% month over month. That is actually an improvement from 0.5% in February. We also saw a decline in used car and truck prices. They fell 3.8% month over month. And, and that's going to give um, some more confidence to some of the economists who are out there saying that maybe this is the worst of the inflation crisis, that perhaps we're at or near a peak here, especially because uh, year over year, it's going to be hard to keep up these, these price gains. Um, but uh, you know, we've also heard other people months ago, they've been saying that maybe we're near a peak for inflation. And, and that was proven wrong by COVID. It was proven wrong by the war in Ukraine. So we obviously need to take those uh, peak inflation calls with a, a grain of salt here, uh, Julia. Yeah, transitory has been banned from the dictionary, I believe, Matt Egan. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Okay, straight ahead. Making a difference. How one American family is spending their spring break delivering medical supplies to Ukrainian refugees. That's next. Welcome back. Suitcases full of medical supplies instead of swimsuits for spring break. After living in Ukraine in 2019, Just Answer CEO Andy Kurtzig and his family have gone to Budapest, this time to deliver medical supplies and help refugees at the border. Kurtzig is also raising money to support the 260 members of his team in Ukraine, and he's encouraging other business leaders to go beyond donations to help. Andy Kurtzig, his daughter Jamie and son Kai all join us now. 
Family Cuts, it's great to have you on the show. Andy, you know, I remember vividly discussing with you the last time we spoke, the helplessness you felt about being so far away from, from your team members, your workers in Ukraine and, and wanting to do more to help. You're a lot closer today and you've brought your family. That's right. We're here uh, bringing many med- medical supplies and all kinds of other supplies to help our team and the people of Ukraine. Why was it so important to bring your children? So we thought about what we wanted to do for spring break this year, and we just couldn't bear the idea of going to Hawaii or somewhere tropical for spring break while our team and our friends in Ukraine are suffering so much. So we decided to to bring supplies during spring break. I understand. Jamie, great to have you on the show. Um, tell me how you felt when your dad said that, when he said, hey, how about we, how about we actually go and try and make a difference ourselves? I was really excited about that because I felt like this is such a huge issue right now and there are lots of ways to help virtually, but I really wanted to have like a tangible impact on people in Ukraine. And I thought this was a really good way to help people over here more directly. And you've had a tangible impact. I believe you suffer from diabetes yourself and you actually directly helped somebody who also suffers from it. Talk talk me through that. Yeah, yesterday, actually, we met with this man called Yevgen, and he, before we helped him, he gave himself four shots of insulin a day and checked his blood sugar once every week. And now we're upgrading him to a system where he checks his blood sugar um, 2,016 times a week. So it's clearly much better. And it's on this system called Loop, which is where it adjusts your insulin rates every five minutes. So it's a much better system. And personally, it helped me a lot. I'm on the system and it has dramatically improved my quality of life and my health outcomes. Andy, I think that smile says it all. Amazing to be able to help, but also amazing to have someone like Jamie there helping too. Absolutely. She started with just uh, uh, basic shots like Yev Yan and, and she's over the years that she's had diabetes migrated all the way to the artificial pancreas loop system that she just talked about. And she took Yevian yesterday from really the very, very most basic level of care, and he was running out of insulin, to now lots of medical supplies, including the insulin and a full artificial pancreas. Like the most advanced system available right now. And is he going to be able to to cope with that now, whether he's a refugee or he manages to go back to, to, to Ukraine at some point and carry on his life there? Yes, so we've got we gave them not only many supplies, six months worth of supplies, insulin and and the pumps and the sensors and all the things that he needs, but also we set him up uh, in a WhatsApp group with our uh, the doctor that we collaborate with at Stanford, Doctor Rahan Lau, who's been amazing helping get him set up as well. Kai, I want you to talk to me now as well before you fall asleep, because I know it's tough with the time difference as well. Um, you've been writing letters. You and some of your friends and some of the local schools, I believe, have been writing letters of support to, to Ukrainian refugees. Kai, tell me, tell me what you've been doing. Um, so me and a lot of other people have been writing letters and like sending them to our family to like help support Ukraine. Um, and I have a couple letters right here that I could read. Um, and we've gotten like... Hundreds of letters. Yeah, here. hundreds wow. of letters. 
sent from all different types of schools and people. Other kids in your school. You want to read one of them? Yeah, and this is, so, yeah, this is a good one. So on the front, it's like, you got this Ukraine, um, and then on the inside, it says, uh, Ukraine, we love you, and, like, this is just, like, one of the hundreds of letters we got, and, yeah, it's really supportive. Amazing. I heard that, that some of you were actually learning a bit of Ukrainian as well to actually be able to to write in their language so that they could understand if they weren't so good with English. Yeah. yeah. And even this one, it says instead of Ukraine, it says Ukraine in Ukrainian. Ukrainian. And, and then some of the letters are completely written in Ukrainian. Yeah, and it's really thoughtful. Yeah, we provided resources so that they could write in a language that more Ukrainians would be able to understand. And have you handed out any of those letters so far? What's the reaction been? We haven't handed them out yet. We're getting ready to go to the border tomorrow. Yeah. We'll be handing them out then. Yeah. Are you guys nervous, Kai? Are, are you nervous about going to the border and seeing these people, or how do you feel? Um, I'm not really nervous since um, the fighting's on the other side, um, and so we're going to be pretty safe where we are. And, yeah. I still think you're very yeah, brave. I'm Jamie? I'm a bit nervous to see so many people displaced from their homes, so many people struggling to, like, have basic, like, care um, that I'm able to have access to. So I'm nervous about that aspect, but I'm really grateful for the opportunity that we're able to help people over there. Yeah. Andy. And then we're hoping, I'm hoping to be able to come across the border into Ukraine and bring all these supplies to all the people in need. We have huge, huge, huge bags that we brought with us filled with medical supplies and safety supplies and diabetes and insulin supplies as well. And so really hoping we can get across the border to deliver that to our team in Ukraine and then they're going to deliver it to the people of Ukraine. I know. And Andy, I mentioned your workers and we've talked in the past about, about your Ukrainian workers too. And you've actually hired more since the conflict began. And, and I know that's an important message that you want to share too, which is please hire these people, allow them to continue to work. This country we hope is going to come and rebuild and these people are still going to be able to have livelihoods and, and work again. That's sort of the message of today too. There's still plenty of great workers there that can work and need to and want to. Absolutely. The world has gotten the message to, to boycott Russia. But you've got to think about the other side of that, which is buying Ukraine. Ukraine's economy has been cut roughly in half since the war started. And many businesses like trucking, trucking businesses and warehouses and chocolate companies can't operate right now in Ukraine. But IT can at least reasonably operate even during these tough times. And so we've been trying to do our part to support Ukraine. And, and part of that is, is hiring people in Ukraine to help them help the economy. And not only are we then paying those people, but they're prepaying their taxes to support the government and they're prepaying their bills to support their economy just to try to keep the, the Ukrainian economy going. Jamie, what are your friends doing for spring break and what do they make of the fact that, that you're there and trying to help in person? Uh, I remember telling some of my friends at school the other day and they were absolutely shocked. Um, they were like, oh my gosh, are you going to be safe? That's so dangerous because they've been learning about it in their classrooms. And 
for someone to actually go there sounds kind of crazy to them since it seems like some very distant place. Um, so it's exciting for me to be able to go there. And also some of my friends in who that I made while we were living in Ukraine are really excited that we're coming back. We'll be able to reunite with them and give them some supplies to help them. And I'm excited to just um, see my friends again since I've been really scared for them after such a long time, you know, from them crossing borders. Um, I think some of them, kids just like me, walked like for days trying to get across some Ukrainian borders. Yeah. They did. I think, um, Jamie Kai, this is a story that you'll tell your children and they'll tell their children. Um, a spring break like no other. Thank you for being there. Andy, great to chat to you again. And uh, fingers crossed you make it across the border and you can take that stuff over to help. Thank you for your Thank time. You. Thank you. Thank you. Andy, Jamie and Kai Kurtzig there. Thank you. All right, we've got breaking news for you now. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has been fined over the Partygate scandal. We'll have a live report from London after this. Stay with us. This is CNN Breaking News. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson and Finance Minister Rishi Sunak fined by police for breaching COVID-19 lockdown laws. Max Oster joins us from London. Max, the mine, the fine here is relatively minor. The implications far greater. What do yeah, we know? So probably, probably less than $100. That's typically what these fines are. We haven't been told exactly because Downing Street have only told us that he's due to be issued a fine, a fixed penalty. It is breaking the law. He is the first sitting British Prime Minister to break the law in living memory, perhaps possibly ever. So it's a, it's a huge deal. Not just that, he's accused of breaking, well, he's been found guilty of breaking his own law. He's the one that led all of these lockdown rules. The UK has very strict laws. He's very clear that if anyone broke them, they would face consequences. Uh, he hasn't been open and honest about that. This followed a police investigation. Uh, we know that 50 penalties have been issued uh, to people who broke lockdown rules in Downing Street, in or around Downing Street. Uh, they haven't all been named, but Downing Street always said that if Boris Johnson uh, was issued with a penalty, they would declare it. We also know that his number two, Rishi Sunak, Chancellor of the Exchequer, has received a fine. And also his wife, Carrie Johnson, has been issued with a fine. So this is pretty seismic. Already opposition leaders, uh, Nicola Sturgeon in Scotland, also Keir Starmer, uh, the opposition Labour Party leader, both calling for him to resign. Uh, because these were laws, Julia, that he created. But as you say, the actual fine itself isn't that significant. And uh, lots of penalties, fixed penalties, as they're known, are issued every, every day for things like parking. Uh, but, you know, this is the man that actually issued these laws in the first place, which is why it is so significant. Yes, so contentious at the time. And of course, already there's going to be cries for the need for resignation. It's gone quiet, hasn't it? For a while now, we've been distracted by the war in Ukraine, but certainly this most definitely in light of these fixed penalties coming back to the forefront. Max Foster, thank you so much for that. Now we have reports of a shooting in New York City. I'm going to hand you over to my colleagues, Jim and Bianna, for more coverage of this. Stay with CNN. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. 
Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.